All right, I'm excited. Ephesians, who's been with us since the beginning of Ephesians? Come on, come on, get excited with me. I need some, well, I don't need it. I'll go, I'll be by myself. I'm fine. I'm excited about this word. I'm excited about the word. I, I'm, 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 anyway, here's a quote. Come on, lean in, lean in. Come on, lean in. A.W. Tozer, here's a, uh, an old quote. Anything God has ever done, he can do now. Anything God has ever done anywhere, he can do here. Anything God has ever done for anyone, he can do for you. Let's add to it. Anything we trust God for, he can do. Anything we put in his hand, he can use. Anything we reveal, he can heal. Anything we surrender, he can take away. Anything we lift up, he can work on. Father, we just invite you right now to move among us, God. We surrender ourselves to you. We ask you to speak to our hearts, Father. Let your words penetrate and cut through our nonsense and our defense and our walls and our presupposed ideas and intellects and let us really get your word today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right. I know that there has been a lot of praying going on during this season. You know why? Because there's been a lot of testing going on during this season. Right? Children, students, our old students, our young students, they, they've been taking tests the last couple of weeks. How many have been, been, right? No? We've been taking regents and finals and, and, and finishing up for the year. And so there's a lot of testing. Whenever there's a lot of testing, there's a lot of praying. Amen. And, and the thing is, you know, most of our lives we've been, we've, been, um, we've been groomed to take tests and to be evaluated by the results of those tests. And, and it's not always a, a correct assessment because it's not real proof that we learned anything. It's just proof that we learned enough to pass a test. Amen? And so that doesn't really work for some people. Some people are good test takers and some fail miserably with tests. Right? It doesn't mean we've learned or, or we haven't learned. And, and you know, we, we, we all learn and grow differently. Say Amen? Albert Einstein, a genius, said, everybody has genius, but if you judge a fish by his ability to climb a tree, he'll live his whole life thinking he's stupid. We all learn differently, amen? Yeah. So the problem is, we, we go through all this testing designed to evaluate us, and we go through all this testing uh, telling us what we can do and what we can't do, and we take tests for jobs, we take tests for promotions, we take tests for permits, we take tests for licensing. It's only natural to bring that mindset into our spiritual lives. It's only natural to bring that testing mindset into our walk with God. Anything we get right goes towards a passing grade. Enough right answers and we pass. If we get more right than we get wrong, then, then we're, we, we feel like we're kind of good, right? Amen? Yeah, but that's the world's standards. Some Christians even get self-righteous. If we get enough right, we, we get self-righteous and we get religious. I, I'll be honest with you. When I first got saved, I was religious, man. I, I was, but remember, I came from the occult side of things. So I was dealing with demons and spirits and brujeria. And so when I first experienced God for real, when God called me out, when I heard him tell me, I've called you, I've set you apart, but not for this junk, I thought I knew more than anybody. I said, I had an experience like Paul, so I'm, I, I got religious. I, would, I got self-righteous. I had youth burning their secular CDs every week. Who was with there with me? I tell, I tell my youth, if you hang with Jay-Z, you can't hang with me. I kind of still feel that way, but anyway, that's a whole other story. But, but I mean, I was religious. I used to look at people and say, well, if you don't have a Christian t-shirt on, if you don't have like a bumper sticker on your car, I don't know who you're serving because you're not serving the God that I'm serving. 
Because if you were serving my God, you'd be happy to tell somebody about it. If you were serving my God, you'd be proud of it. You wear it. You put a sticker on your forehead, right? I, I, I said, man, I was, I, so I was a little self-righteous. I was a little religious. I, I got an email the other day about back to church day, you know, the, the thing that we do. At the end, and, and I got upset about it. I said, why do we need a national back to church day when you bring a friend to church? When, when the word commands us, go and make disciples. We've been reconciled to God and we've been made ministers of reconciliation. You should bring a friend every day. Right? All right, four, slow clap. That was a slow, that was bad. That was like. (laughs) Pastor E reminds you every week you're blessed to be a blessing. Not to hog it all up, it's to give some away, amen? There shouldn't be an empty seat in the bill. Anyway, I digress. But when you, when you live with this testing mindset, the problem with the testing mindset is that when you fail, and you will fail, because we all fail, amen? The word says we, we all fall short of the glory of God, right? So when we fail, the problem with the mindset is then we disqualify ourselves. And then we're no good because we failed. Because we're judging, testing the walk with God, our, our spiritual life, like we, like we do school and like we do jobs and like we do promotions. When we fail, we fail, you don't get it. So then our failures or our shortcomings are always before us and they prevent us from moving forward, from stepping out into things that God has prepared for us to walk in. But here's the good news. The kingdom of God and what we're seeing here as we walk through the book of Ephesians is that the kingdom of God is exactly opposite from that system. All right, Hassan's excited. In this world system, watch this picture. In this world system, every test we take starts with a zero. Right? Every test we take in the world starts with a zero. And so if it's a 20-question test and you get one right, how many points do you get? One, five, ten, eleven and a half. What was... Okay, anyway. We, that was scary. <laughs> Our teachers are flipping right now. They're like, In the kingdom of God. But so, so every, every answer that you get gives you points. And, and if you get enough right, then you work toward a passing grade. But in the kingdom of God, because we can't earn a place with God, because we can't do enough right to bring us into God's grace, because it's a gift, the word says, it's not of our own lest anybody should boast, book of Ephesians, we start, we start with a passing grade. Come on, in the kingdom of God, every test we get, we start with a hundred. And then we disqualify ourselves. Come on, that's so good. If I heard somebody preach that, I'd be like, (laughs) I'd be hooping and hollering. Let me show you, as we recap chapter 1, and, 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 and we start this, this, this chapter 2 today, we're going to start that uh, uh, message title, Members Only. Members only. I, I, I sent an email to all my staff to wear members only jackets. Nobody, nobody got it, but anyway. Or nobody could find theirs. Let's recap chapter 1. Here's 10 things I want you to get that we have to get from, from chapter 1. 10 things from chapter 1, just to, to kind of you know, um, sum it all up. 10 things from chapter 1 that we have to get. Number 1, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Number two, in Christ, he chose us before the creation to be holy and blameless in his sight. Number, number three, he predestined, that means he prepared in advance for, for adoption. Who? All who call upon his name. If you have a problem with reformed theology and predestination, get, my, get the God's plan message and I kind of broke all that down for you. If you don't agree, I, I don't know why you're still doing here. But number four, number four. Things that we have to get from Ephesians 1 before we move on. Number four, we have forgiveness and redemption. Our freedom has been paid for in Christ. 
Man, number five, we have wisdom to understand the mysteries of his grace. Not not just for the chosen, but for everyone, for for the Jew and for the Gentile. God gives you the the, the understanding and wisdom to understand his grace. Listen, when a lot of people tell me, oh, I don't read the word because I don't understand it. Stop making excuses, bro. Read a sentence or two. Read a chapter. Guarantee that week God will unfold that to you. But if you didn't get it in, he can't bring it out. No excuses, hashtag. All right, so well, the hashtag no excuses, it got to go first. He, number six, number six, he will one day bring everything in heaven and earth together in Christ. One day, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, either by force or by will. You decide how you want to get there, but you're going to get there. I don't believe, don't matter. Okay, sorry. Number seven, every believer is marked with a seal. It's given a deposit. That deposit is the Holy Spirit. It's a guarantee that he'll give us everything that he promised us. You've been sealed with a guarantee. There's no reason for you to be upset. There's no reason for you to think this. To, no, God already gave you the promise of what he has for you. And he gave you a down payment. Ay, ay, ay. Every, the seven. Number eight. In Christ, we have an inheritance from God. Listen, man, some, some of us ain't nobody ever leave us anything. But in Christ, we have an inheritance. From God. Number nine, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us and works through us. Why? Why should the church be so weak and so powerless and so anemic? Why? Because we're not putting it in so God can't pull it out. But that same power that's in us, resurrection power, we say to things to come alive and that resurrection power is in us to bring things alive. Number 10, (coughs) God placed Christ as the head of the church in which we are the body. This is big. This is how we end Ephesians 1. God placed Christ as the head of the church in which we are the body. He ends chapter 1 with that. Chapter 2 is all about this. We're all members of one body. Christ is the head. We are all members. I've preached entire messages on this because to me it's so crucial and it's so critical for the church to get this. Paul introduces this thought to the church early in the letter of Ephesians. It's right in in the beginning of his letter. He says, Christ is the head, we're the body. That's the church. Um, So the church being the body of Christ, he talks about it in almost all of his letters. Because the thought is central to Paul's theology. Still with me? We see it right here at, at the end of Ephesians, Ephesians 1.22. And he, God, put all things under his feet and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is the body. Ephesians 4, there is one body and one spirit. Ephesians 4.25, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We're members of one another. My Cubans and Dominicans and Jamaicans, we're members, and Italians, we're members of one another. Ephesians 5, 29, no one has ever hated his own flesh but nourishes. God, Paul is saying, you guys eat, right? You don't hate yourself enough to starve yourself, right? We, we don't even want to fast. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Um, Ephesians, no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we're members of his body. 1 Corinthians, he talks to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 10, we who are many are one body. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, there is one body, many parts. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. Are we starting to get a picture? He talks to the church in Colossians, Colossians 1.18. He is also the head of the body, the church. He talks to the Romans, Romans 12.5. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the other. 
Paul is serious about this. It seems he can't write a letter without mentioning this. So it should be kind of important, amen? We should start to get it. If, we, if we're reading it every, every, uh, every other letter, it's, it should kind of get in us, but somehow it doesn't. But I, I don't understand, but, let, but let's, let's go on. To see, let's see where Paul get this from and why it's important. See, we need to look at who Paul was, right? So if we're going to study Ephesians, we also have to consider who wrote it. And so, so we, we know the word is inspired and breathed by God, but who penned this, this thing? And so let's find out who Paul is. Before Christ, Paul was Saul of Tarsus. He was born to Jewish parents. He received a Jewish education, top-notch education under a well-known uh, um, teacher named Gamaliel. He was the only, Paul was the only scholar among the apostles. Everybody else did construction, fishing, whatever. He was the only scholar. He knew the Hebrew and Greek Bible almost by heart. Paul was bold. He was full of energy and wisdom, and he walked with authority. The word doesn't tell us, but his, his, historically, other writings tell us Paul was short, fat, bold, and bald, and bow-legged. That's, that's not what the word says. I'm saying historically, that's what. So for this short, fat, bald, bow-legged dude to be pulling people out, uh, out of, it, this man walked with authority, amen? He was a Pharisee of the strictest sect. That means he wasn't like the hypocrites that Jesus talked about, the Pharisees that they just want to be, you know, holy and pretty on the outside. That, that wasn't Paul. Paul had an intense conviction and a zeal for the religion of his, of his, of his fathers. And so he took pleasure in the persecution of anything that would stand against that. So he was the real deal when it came to what he believed in. He believed so strongly, he felt that anyone who didn't believe like him was wrong. Side note, when Paul became a Christian, none of that changed. He was still passionate. He was still a man who went all the way with his convictions. I see too often in the church when people come to God to walk as a believer, they, they were, before they came to church, man, they were out there. They were risk takers. They were thinkers. They were creatives. They were builders. And, they, and then they believe that when God wants to, to, to bring them in and be believers, that God strips them of all that. And then we have these weak, skinny Christians. Can I just tell you, come on, man, be strong. Be bold. Amen. Be risk takers. Be men and women of conviction all the more because there's resurrection power inside of you. You were created to glorify God with who you are. If you went hard before Christ, go hard in Christ. Amen. Amen. You, come on, you used to be at the clubs till 4 in the morning, 5 in the morning, get up and still go to work at 7. But to get up to be in church at 11, oh my God, you don't know what I went through Saturday. One of the kids had a runny nose. The other one, I think, might have fever. Oh, it didn't matter when you was in the club, though. It didn't, you, you know what I'm saying? Come on, be hard, be, be strong, be strong. My word for the year is jars. I, I told you that at the beginning of the year. That's the story of the widow's oil. She brought every jar, every empty jar she could find to get to God so believing he could fill it. I'm believing for God's promises for my life. I'm, believe, I'm bringing empty jars to God. Listen, God keeps proving himself faithful. Let me give you a quick testimony. We designed the kitchen next door knowing that <coughs> no time soon we were going to have the money to fill the kitchen. I mean, we didn't build a 10 by 10 kitchen like most of us have in our houses. We built at that joint 11 by 22. It's not 100 square feet. It's 400 square feet. Okay? We built this monster kitchen empty knowing we got no money to put things in it. But, but I invite you to go next door after service. We made a space for God. We brought him the empty jar, and he filled it. One of our members was like, hey, I'm redoing the kitchen in the house that I bought, but everything in the kitchen is like top-notch. Do you want it? I'm like, come on. I was there with the truck. Beep, beep. Literally, I, that's serious. Me and Jose. Me and 70-year-old Jose emptied the whole kitchen into the truck and brought it here. Top notch. See, when you bring something empty to God, he fills it, man. When you remember, God will fill your empty jars to overflowing as much as you're willing to trust him. Membership has its privileges. 
Come on, man. One of our other members saw that, man, we put all this electrical, we put all this, all these ACs over there. We're building a, a, a stupid, ridiculous kitchen. He, he looked and he said, man, we not, you don't have the power to run all that. We need a full electrical upgrade. So guess what? That took place this weekend. And that's, that's ongoing. Why? Because a member, because we're members of each other, man. Some of you just got tight today because, oh, there's no children's church. But you don't care that there was people working all weekend, all weekend, trying to make it happen, trying to get it safe for us. And we just, no children's church again. I'm, I'm going to have to go find another church that has children's church every Sunday because these people are unreliable. I don't know. They, I don't know. They don't got their priorities right. I know. Some of you got tight. saw it in your faces. You don't like your kids so much that you don't even want to let them sit. Anyway, I'm, I'm joking, kids. We love you. We glad you're here. All right, so Paul, let's move on. So Paul was a non-believer of Christ. Paul didn't believe. Paul believed what the Jews believed. He regarded Christ as a false messiah. He was a rebel. He was a blasphemer. And he was justly condemned to death. Paul had died before. I mean, Jesus had died before Paul came on the scene. He felt Jesus was a criminal. He came to destroy the temple and all the good things that religion held on to. And so he was crucified like the bad guy that he was. And, and Paul believed what, whatever the lies that were going around that either his body was stolen or it was eaten by dogs. Like over the weekend. <laughs> totally eaten, everything eaten by dogs. <laughs> yeah, your bones and all, everything, everything. So, so he was to believe, and so he decided on himself that he would wipe out whatever was left of this sect, which he saw it as a cult. Anybody that's following people of the way, this Jesus thing, I'm going to put an end to that because that's nonsense. That was garbage. And so he was so bold that he got papers from the Sanhedrin to make it legal for him to drag Christians out of their homes and put them in chains. And it was on his way to Damascus where he was going to arrest and extradite Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem when Jesus meets him there. This is a great question we don't have time to unpack, but why would Jesus encounter a man like that? Why would Jesus encounter a man that was persecuting his followers? If it was up to us, we'd just take him out. <laughs> cat, cat, double tap. For all my video gamers, cack, cack, double tap Paul's gun. Boom. Who are you following now? Why would, Paul, why would Jesus encounter a man like that? And, and as far as believing in Jesus, having faith in the Messiah, Paul failed the test. When, when he watched him kill the first martyr, Paul was there. And Paul was a part of it. They watched him kill the first guy that says, I believe in Jesus and I won't, I won't turn, I won't change my story. I believe he can save me. I believe, and they killed him. And Paul was with that. Paul was on that. He failed that test. Why would Jesus encounter him on the road to Damascus? The answer for Paul and the answer for me and the answer for you is Ephesians. Paul, you, me, were chosen to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in heaven and on earth. We were predestined before he could take or pass or fail any test. We were chosen to be forgiven and redeemed and adopted. God chose Paul before the creation to present him pure and blameless before him. But he's killing people and persecuting them for following Christ. And God sees them blameless. How about you? You failed more tests than you've ever passed. I'm guilty. I've failed more tests than I've ever passed. Yet before we could find a way to fail, God had already had a plan to have you pass. Come on, that's the gospel. He already had plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and to give you a... All right, Acts 9, 3, as he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, who are you? Who are you, Lord? Lord was just a... Uh, an address, you know, it wasn't like he was calling him Lord, he didn't know who he was. He said, who are you? And, and he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Remember, Paul was not persecuting Jesus. Paul believed Jesus was already dead. 
Why are you persecuting me? Paul was persecuting the church. Jesus said, you're persecuting me. Paul understood Jesus was saying, this church is me. What you do to them, you do to me. And that's the picture, church, that we have to get that will radically transform our theology. That which you've done unto the least of these, you've done unto me. If you hate the church, you hate me. When you trash the church, you trash me. When you gossip about anybody in the church, you trash it. It's me you're talking about. It's me, the one you haven't forgiven. That's me. The one you haven't befriended, that's me. The one you isolate, that's me. If every person of the church is a member of the body, then church is members only. Churches for members only. And the good news, this isn't exclusive. You're included because your membership has already been paid for. You can hear this message, oh, members only. See, I knew, I knew the church is about this being this little clique and they think they're better than everybody. No, churches for members only, but your membership is already covered. God didn't ask you for your PIN code, for your credit card. Your membership's already covered. Don't waste it like your Planet Membership Fitness thing, mem- fitness, mem- whatever. When you believe you're sealed with the Spirit of God and you're automatically a member of it, listen to me, even if no church in the Bronx would receive you or let you be a part of it, you're a member of the body of Christ. But hear me, believers... You do not have a private faith. You have a corporate relationship and a responsibility to each other. Oh, man, I wish I didn't show up today. (laughs) Hear me, hear me. I don't need you to join my church. I just want you to be the church. Amen? If you're a believer, then you're a member of it, and that's what it means to be in Christ. Listen, Paul uses in Christ like 30 times in the book of Ephesians. He uses in Christ 169 times throughout his letters. I mean, you know, he's all about it. I hate to make it sound this way, but the kingdom of God, the promises of God is clearly for members only. To be a believer means to be a member. To be a member means to be responsible and accountable to everybody in it. Paul sees everything from that moment on through the resurrection. He he knew the whole Old Testament. So in his head when he had that encounter with Jesus, he said, I understand that the the, the Passover lamb was you. It all just unfolded in him. God just said, wait a minute. Everything that I know about the Old Testament, everything that I know about Isaiah, the one that would come and, and, and bruise for our transgressions and beaten for our iniquities, and that's you. He put it all together, and so it formed his whole encountering Jesus, sealed him for life. Listen, a man would not endure all the hardships that Paul did because they heard a story about some man that lived and died and said good things. Paul endured, and Paul is proof for us of the gospel. Paul is proof for us of the resurrection. Paul endured because he encountered Jesus and he knew everything that he would have to endure wouldn't compare to the inheritance that God has promised him. Oh, God. This beginning section in Ephesians uh, from 1 to 2, it, it describes the new life that God has given us in Christ and it divides itself naturally into two halves. The first half consisting of praise and the second of prayer. In the praise half, Paul blesses God that he's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. In the prayer half, Paul is praying that our eyes would be open to see who we are. That's my prayer today, that our eyes would be open to see who we are in Christ. To do that, we have to stop focusing on our location, how many tests we fail, what we've done, where we are. And we got to start focusing on our position, who we are. Are we in Christ or not? Because the truth is, you could be in church and not in Christ. What? That's crazy. 
Yeah, you can be, there's plenty of people in church. That's why it's not always a good idea to find your husband or wife in church. It's even worse to find them outside, but, 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 but I'm saying, I'm just saying, like, don't think because he's in a chair in a church, come on, that he's in Christ. That's a whole nother message. I, I'm going to leave that alone. Go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, Val. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, anybody could testify, we were once in dead in our trespasses, walked in darkness as sons of disobedience. Amen. There's four of us in here. That's awesome. rest of you are just self-righteous. What Paul does in this passage is to paint a vivid contrast of, uh, between the man, what man is by nature, and what man can be by grace. The main point is that God has made believers alive. He's raised us up and he's seated us with Christ. You were dead in your trespasses, verse 4, but God. You don't even got to finish that scripture. But God. You were dead, but God. You were blind, but God. You were broken, but God. I was depressed, but God. I was alone, but God. I was empty, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he has for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ in immeasurable i love that that means more than can be measured immeasurable grace riches of his grace see before man ever came on the scene to do what he would do to separate himself from god god already planned what he would do to reconcile us to god to make us members Worship team, come on, come on, come on, come on. Ephesians 2.8. Now that I'm halfway through, I bring the worship team up. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that one may boast. It's a free gift. The kingdom of God is for members only, but you can't earn your membership. You can't pay for your membership. You can't get a membership because you know somebody. Nobody can pray you in. Nobody, not the saints, not Mary, not the Pope, not the church, not the pastor, not the deacons. Not, no amount of good deeds will get you recognized. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of work. Listen, when you get this, you can understand why Jesus was so tight with self-righteous people. You can't get proud or puffed up about something you didn't earn. Listen, if Bentley or Ferrari started giving away free cars to anybody who asked, let's say Bentleys and Ferraris, you know, the president did something, and Bentleys and Ferraris now are free for everybody. So everybody got a Bentley or Ferrari, anybody. So now, you can't drive down the block in a Ferrari trying to pick up women. Be like, hey, yo, check it out. Because that'll be like calling her on your free Obama phone. Like, that's free. I got a cell phone. Yeah, everybody got those cell phones. They're free. Obama gave them out. You can't get puffed up about something you didn't earn. 
arrogant Christianity is crazy. It's crazy. Arrogant Christianity. People, there's, there's, there's leaders in the kingdom, there's power that, that you can't approach because they're so... What we've done with leaders and pastors, and it's, it's disgusting. It's, it's craziness. It's just as crazy as it looks to some of us. Like, I can't talk to the, but you can't talk to the pastor. Who are you? I've had people come here, and they say, is it okay that I ask you? I know, because at my other church, I'm not, we were not allowed to talk to the pastor. But then you better get out of my face. Away with her. <laughs> Deacons. Arrogant Christian, because it's crazy. There's nothing that we did on our own. It's a gift that we receive. Amen? And the, the higher, if we're looking at the world system, the higher that we are, like, let's say, well, the pastor of the church, well, the pastor, the world system in the, in the, in the kingdom is turned upside down. The pastor is the biggest servant. So I'm less than all of you, if anything else. Because I've decided that I'm going to serve you. I've decided I'm going to wash your feet. Even if you're going to run out and still play in the mud. And you're going to come back and next Sunday I'm going to try to wash your feet again. Because I'm a servant of the Most High God. Not because I'm better. Not because I've, I've gotten anywhere. But because your feet are dirty and I, I'm here to serve them. I'm here to wash them. Because that's what Jesus did. He says, watch me. When he did that, he said, watch me. And do as I've done. Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. The rest of chapter 2 from 11 to 22 <coughs> Paul is dealing with membership issues. This is good, watch. Remember the church at Ephesus was made up of Jews and Gentiles. We'll, we'll get into Ephesus later because I want to really break out what's happening in this town and, and but, but for now the, most of the church is Jews and Gentiles. So if you think you're having a hard time in here getting along with members of the church, back then that was Candela. It was Jews and Gentiles who for, for, for years and years were always told, I hate you because you hate me. I'm better than you because I'm God's chosen. You're no good because you're not me. The, the Jews used to pray in their prayer books. They would pray in their prayer books. They would thank God Thank you, God, that I'm not like him. Like legitimate prayers. Thank you, God, that you made me one of yours and not one of them. They would pray that. Listen, when a, when a Jewish, when a, Jewish um, a, a, a woman married a, a Gentile, or when a, you know, a Gentile a boy got married a, a, a Jewish girl, the Jews would Im immediately have a funeral for that person. Because they considered them dead. Can you, can you imagine? You think we got issues with each other? The Jews in the church were being raised, told that they were God's chosen and they alone are, are God's people. And so everyone else, uh, the Gentiles, they weren't even eligible to receive. And so if you could understand the animosity that they, that they felt, there were some serious members-only issues in the church. And so look how Paul writes and how he addresses them. And starting in 13, it says, But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, which has made us both one and broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Church, even in our church and in our churches, the dividing wall of hostility has to be torn down. That, that's what we're learning in Ephesians. Otherwise, rip that part out of your Bible and, and leave it out. So I don't want to get along with nobody else. I don't need to get along with anybody. I only come here because I come here and get my stuff, get my coffee sometimes, and, and I'm out of here. I don't need to make friends with the Spanish church that comes after. I, don't, I want to get out of here before they get in here. Really? I don't want to make friends with, they don't want to make friends with me. I don't need to, that church up the back, where you go? You go to that church? I don't, you know, whatever. 
He says, the dividing wall of hostility. By 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. One new man in place of the two. So making peace and, and that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Verse 17, and he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, the Gentiles and the Jews, to you who were far off and to those that were near. For, though, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. Is that a beautiful thing? Are you starting to see the beautiful picture of the church? of which Jesus is the cornerstone. Can I give you one more illustration and I'm done, I promise? I didn't hear a yeah. Man. Y'all are just like, come on, it's nice outside. Promise, this is it. Jesus, look, we're built, the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Why, why is Jesus the cornerstone? This is such a beautiful picture. You, you would only get if you were into construction. And back then, that's all people did, right? There was, there was pretty much, you know, not a whole lot of, there weren't, um, you know, web designers. Or no, there, was, there wasn't a lot to do. They, 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 so everybody understood construction. And so he said, Jesus is the cornerstone. In the ancient world, the cornerstone was the most important part about, of, of building a building. You'd put this, this, this cornerstone would designate the boundary lines, and it would designate the, the boundary lines this way and this way. So this cornerstone would be placed, this huge block. And now the cornerstone had to be totally level, totally pitched, totally plumb, because this set the entire thing for the building. If somebody comes and builds on it and it's, and it's not level, as the walls go up, the walls start being crooked and eventually they will fall. But if you were in line, perfectly lined with the cornerstone, then this wall would be strong and mighty. And then this wall would be strong and mighty. You had to, every stone that they put on the cornerstone had to be totally aligned with the cornerstone. Jesus is our cornerstone. Anything that we build, listen, anything that we build on Jesus has to be perfectly aligned, in alignment with, with who Jesus is. And so if we're off, pe people get excited and they go and build their own ministries and, get, and they're all out and, and it can't grow. It can't grow if it's not perfectly in alignment with the cornerstone. And then the word says, if in him we're being built together into a dwelling place for God. If Jesus is our cornerstone, then we have to be perfect. Listen, anything we build out of alignment can't, can't grow. Can we, just, can we just repent today? I just felt this is, how, this is what I wrote to close. I said, can we just repent today and align ourselves with the cornerstone? Can we just start building the body of Christ? Listen, some of you might still not feel it, but at least today I believe you understand it. Your faith is not personal. Your faith is corporate. You have a, re a responsibility to one another. I know that's heavy, but it's beautiful. Because it means you're not alone. You might come here alone every week, but you're not alone. You're a stone that's built on the cornerstone. That's perfectly aligned with him. And, and, and if we're doing it right, there's a stone next to you that's perfectly aligned with you. And if we're doing it right, there's a stone over you and there's a stone on the other side. And, and together we're building this, together we're building this beautiful kingdom of which we're all members. Let's, 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 let's pray.
Father, we just uh, we just repent today, God, for everything and anything that we do that's out of your alignment, that's out of your will. Father, as we as we get further into Ephesians, a uh, man Paul's going to deal with with husbands, with wives, with children. He's going to cover it all. And so, so God, right here at the beginning, God, can we just can we just get in alignment with you? If you if 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 you need to repent today, if you if you need to say, God, I I I just wanna I wanna be in a, in your alignment, man. I might never have seen it this way. <coughs> I might have all of I might have always thought that my my faith was private. That was my private life. That was my my own. But but it's not. If I want my, if anything that I do affects my, my brothers, anything that I do affects the body, if I want to grow, if I want them to be good, I got to be good. If I want them to do well, I got to do well. And when they struggle, I struggle. And when they hurt, I hurt. And when they're in pain, I'm in pain. And when they rejoice, I'm not jealous. I'm happy. And when they do well, I'm excited for them. And when, when they get more and I still might not have, I'm not, I'm not envious. I'm, I'm saying, man, amen, because the same way you did it for them, you could do it for me. And if, and if it's not today, but it's, and, and if it's not, I've been waiting longer, and he got more, and she got more. Hey, man, that's just a testimony that God is at work, and God is doing something. So if you're saying today, Father, I just submit to your way of doing things, would you, would you just stand? The scary part of all of this all of these blessings and adoptions and inheritances is it's only for members. You have to be in Christ. You can't be in a church. You can't be in a chair in a church. You can't be here with a friend. You can't be here because your mom makes you come. You have to be in Christ. Membership has, has its privileges, but, but it's for members only. And so listen, if you haven't made that, if you're saying, I don't even know if I'm a member, then throw your hands up. But, but you want to be, then, then throw a hand up. Say, listen, I, I'm signing up for membership. Not of the sanctuary, not of this church. I'm not promising you that I'm going to come here for the rest of my life. I'm not, I don't, I'm not asking you to do that. But you're saying, I want to be a member for no matter where I attend, no matter where God leads me, no matter, I want to be a member of, of this body. I want to be in Christ. I want to know that in Christ, my promises are yes and amen. I want to know that in Christ, that I'm in Christ, that I believe that he has predestined me to be part of his, of his body. And if that's you, just, just say that. Just, just pray out loud and just, just tell him right now. You, prayer is nothing fancy. Prayer is talking. Just say, God, I, I need you to make me a member today, God. I know that you died. I know that you, the only reason that I can be in Christ is because he paid the price for my freedom. And so, Father, I receive your freedom that was paid for me on the cross. And if that's you, then, then, then as with your hand up, just grab your membership card and, and put it in your pocket because you're a member. Amen? Let's, let's worship with the members. Let's worship with the body before we leave. Come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. There's no one higher than He.
So how could we ever leave? Because you would never leave us, oh God. So Father, if you predestined us, Father, for your glory, oh God, then we say yes, we say yes, we we accept it, oh God. Father, but memberships mean more than a membership card. We understand that. Father, because you give yourself to us fully and you don't hold anything back and the example was your son. So when we become a member to you, oh God, we say be Lord over every aspect of our life, not just this side, one side, or this, but everything, Lord, because you know best for us, oh God. We can't trick you, Lord. We just can't say bless one area. Or keep an eye on one area. But Lord, cover us completely, Lord. Cover us. So Father, today we commit to you, Lord. No matter the struggle, no matter the trial, no matter the weaknesses that we will never leave because you have not forsaken us. But in fact, you have made your strength even that much more available to us. And so, Father, even as we committed to you, we call ourselves members of one another. It's time, Lord, that we really begin to walk in that member of you. Yes. Yes, God. Father, if I see my brother and my sister hurting, and... I'm excited about what you're doing in my life, Lord, and I'm blessed. Then why can't I just bless them? Why why can't I just be a member of them and and lead them to to righteousness, lead them to still waters, lead them to something greater, lead them, continue to lead them back to you, Lord? Yes, God. Father, this is a responsibility you've placed on us, oh God. Because you can do all things, Lord, and we know that. But you've given us this, this anointing, this power, this Holy Spirit to be able to identify and to help bring each other up, Lord, through Jesus. your mercy and through your grace. Jesus. Jesus. So, Father, we don't only commit to you, but we commit to one another today, Lord. Yeah. I am a member of you as you are yeah. a member of me. Yeah. Yeah. And I Amen. wish no destruction on you as you don't wish no destruction on me. But if I'm blessed, then I want to know that you are blessed as well. Yeah. Hold on one second. Before, before you bless him, I feel like I have to say one thing. If you've disqualified yourself already because of tests that you failed, I invite you this week to try it again with God. Yes, yes. Build what you were building before. Try it again with God. Align yourself with the cornerstone. And no matter how many times you failed in the past, no matter how disqualified you feel, this week, before he blesses you this week, try it again with God. Amen? Wow. I say this a lot. And it was something I just started to say because I felt that it was true, you know. But it's now that we need to live by these words because we, we have the words of life. We speak it and we speak it, but sometimes we don't walk it out. So if I say you're blessed and be a blessing, then I mean that I've charged you, you know. I've given you a charge to take what you got here today and to bless somebody else with it, you know? So you are blessed? For what? Oh, man. Go ahead. You guys have a wonderful day, wonderful weekend. We will see you here Wednesday night. We have prayer. Come on, bless people of God. Let's pray together.